morning, everyone, and welcome to the jar. My name's Chris, and uh, we're so glad you chose to hang out with us. You will not see Willy Wonka today, okay? Um, but uh, we are excited about Willy Wonka, and uh, if you get a chance over the next couple weekends uh, to go see that, that'd be great. Uh, before we dive into the teaching today, I simply want to invite you to something that's coming up on August 28th, which is a prayer walk. And so we're going to be uh, actually walking and praying, just what it sounds. And I'm going to be teaching a little bit of that. Um, you do not have to pray out loud. We're simply going to meet at the ministry center and uh, our church, uh, the JAR offices. We're going to walk around and people will get a chance then to uh, pray for people, pray for homes, pray for streets, pray for Muncie. And so I hope you'll come and you'll join me. It'll be a lot of fun and uh, we'll have a chance to connect that way. Well, there is one thing that every single one of us uh, in this auditorium has in common, and it's one word, and it's this word right here, relationships. Every one of us have them. Some of them are really, really good, and we love them, and some of them, not so much, right? And I have a feeling that every single person here has at least one strained relationship in your marriage, uh, or it might be your marriage, but one strained relationship. One strained relationship in your life. And um, uh, it could be with a coworker, neighbor, friend, family member, whatever. So uh, here in just a moment, what we're going to do is we're going to have you stand up and you're just going to yell out that one person that you have a strained relationship with. Okay, are you ready? Joking. Jo- Some of you are like, I'm ready. Don't do that, okay? Um, we, especially if they're here today. Don't do that. Um, now, the reality is, though, is that all of us, probably do have a strained relationship. And when we have a strained relationship with someone, uh, we get to a point where we're like, how did we get here? I mean, it's one of those things where you can be in your workplace or at school and something happens and people start taking sides and you start questioning to yourself, like, how did we get here? This happens in our world as well. Uh, You look on the news and There's often relational issues and conflicts or uh, between countries. And, you know, there's issues with, you know, borders and what that looks like. And we all of a sudden start asking ourselves, like, you know, how did we get here? Now, I have a theory of how you and I got to this point and the world did. But it actually begins in the Old Testament, the first half of the Bible. And it all surrounds bricks. Uh, Early in the pages of Scripture, we learn that brick-making was a process that changed all of culture. Uh, This technology was incredibly valuable, and it allowed people to actually build something and to stay put. Before that, the whole world was very nomadic. In other words, what they did was they would just walk around until they could find a really good water source or they could find a place that they could have some shelter or they would find a pasture where their livestock could feed. But with the creation of bricks, it allowed people to actually stay put for the first time in human history because it would be able to separate any climate issues that would come and you could have a house. And what would happen is family units would get together and they would take their bricks and they would build a home for grandma and grandpa and then mom and dad and then for aunts and uncles. And pretty soon they would grow up to where it was called a city. 
And there would be this group of people that everyone knew each other and it was there. But before long, I can imagine that people started having rumors of hearing about other neighbors that were moving in very, very close. And pretty soon what happened, rather than building bricks to build your home, we started building some borders or uh, barriers to prevent people from coming in. And brick technology was the beginning of that creating of kind of barriers, physical boundaries that would actually keep people from one another. And when you flip through the Old Testament, what you'll find, though, is that that was not God's original intent. His desire for all of Israel was to actually be light to the world, to continue to be nomadic and to share light to other people. But the problem is, is that the Israelites did not listen to that, and eventually they started building walls around their different cities, and the Israelites neglected what God had called them to do, and they went off and they kind of did their own thing because they were fearful of the differences that they had with other people. And pretty soon, these bricks and barriers and the Bible itself was used to create a culture of us versus them. Us versus them. Those people over there are not like us. Well, eventually, it got to the point where the people of God actually built a building for God because this is just our God. We're going to keep our God in this building. It took them 10 years to actually build it. 10,000 people were used to build it, and it was 30 acres, and it was full of, you know, uh, gold and marble, and it was just amazing and fascinating, this temple mount that they built. Uh, 30 acres that you can imagine of just beauty and glory that was there, and people would actually pilgrim, uh, take pilgrimages from all over the world to actually see this particular temple mount. And these people that would do this were called Gentiles. Uh, Unless you're Jewish, that's who you would have been. So uh, everyone in the world would come and would see this. Now, no Jew ever wanted to be too close to a Gentile, though, because if you touch someone who was non-Jewish, you would have to be separated from the rest of society for a period of time. And the Gentiles... Uh, were never allowed to get too close to the presence of God. You see, the temple was barricaded off, and when these people would take these long pilgrimages to kind of see who the Hebrew God is and for us to visit the house that he lives in, pretty soon they realized that, you know what? We're not allowed to come in. They realized that this is not for us, that God must not be a fan of us Because we're not allowed to be a part of it. But one day, the most legalistic Jew ever known, the guy who wrote Ephesians, as we've been going through this Thrive series, Paul, he shows up and he has all of these Gentiles with him. So you imagine, there's this herd of people that are walking in and none of them are Jewish and people start freaking out. But... Paul wanted to honor, and so he said, hey, guys, you have to stay here, but I'm going to go in, but I'll come back out, and I'll tell you what it's like. And as Paul walked towards the altar, all of a sudden, the Jewish people saw him near Gentiles, and they exploded, and they incited a riot to get rid of Paul. They seized him, and they started screaming words at him, and we have it recorded. 
It says this. A religious leader stood up. People of Israel, help us. This is the man. Who's the man? Paul, okay, this is the man who teaches everyone everywhere against our people and our law in this place, the temple. And besides, he has brought Greeks, that is Gentiles, into the temple and defiled this holy place. They had previously seen Trophimus, the Ephesian, in the city with Paul and assumed that Paul had brought him to the temple. The whole city was aroused, and the people came running from all directions, seizing Paul. They dragged him from the temple, and immediately the gates were shut. So imagine that. Paul shows up, and he's like, I'm just with him. I didn't bring him in. But all of a sudden, they start threatening him. They drag him in, and there's this public shaming now that takes place. And they're going off on him. And they're like, Paul, you're painting outside the lines. We don't like it. You see, the whole story in, 20, in Acts 21 is so ironic because Paul is going to the temple by himself to simply worship God and have a sense of purification. And now he's accused of defiling the temple. And the religious leader starts shouting, look at this man, look what he's doing. Now we're all defiled, we all have to leave the temple because of this one man. And they threw up these lies, and Paul is dragged out. And it makes everyone unclean. And pandemonium ensues, and Paul Now, for some of you, you're like, okay, so what? Well, if you understand the Temple Mount and what it looks like, I think it's going to tell a story by the end of our time together that you're going to be like, oh, man, that was huge. I'm going to give you a graphic picture. This is the Temple Mount, 30 acres, marble, gold, beauty everywhere. And on the outside of this is walls and barriers preventing people from coming in. And there's this real sense that this second level is a level that's higher. It's two stories more, maybe more than that, archaeologists tell us. And there's one place that only one person was able to experience the presence of God once a year, and it's in this place right here, the Holy of Holies. So what would happen is if you were a priest and you were named the high priest of the year, you actually got to go into the Holy of Holies And you got to experience God's presence, but only one person, one time in the whole year for a few minutes. And they actually would put a rope around your leg. So if you got in there and you're in the presence of God and you die, they're like, we don't want it to smell, so we'll drag you back out. And that's the truth, folks. That's exactly what would happen. And so you have this holy of holies, and it's beautiful, and it's pristine. It's the presence of God. And then right outside it was where the priests were at. The people who would take the offerings, the animal sacrifices, and uh, would take care of that and do all the duties of the temple. And then right outside of that were the Jewish men. Only Jewish men were allowed to be in that part of the court. And then the women, okay? We have to give more room for the women because more women come to church. No, I'm just joking. But but it is true. Um, and, And so all the Jewish women are there. And everything's great. And it's up and it's elevated. It's a couple stories up high. And then if you went down the stairs, there was this great big dividing wall, and on the other side of it 
were the Gentiles. And they were separated from everyone else. Two weeks ago, my uh, oldest daughter, Jordan, started middle school. And Jordan did great. She had a great week, and she loves her school, and everything's going well. But to be honest, her mother and I were a mess. And for me personally, I'm like, oh my gosh, my little girl, now she has to go and find this locker and you got to have the right combination, you know, and then you go, not just to one class, but multiple classes. And then there are those hormonal boys that have like hair under their armpits, you know, and, and they smell and they're going to look differently. And I don't want them around my daughter, you know, and, and, and that's what I'm going through. And all of a sudden I got all wound up and I got like triggered And I went back to a time in seventh grade when I walked into the cafeteria at Justice Middle High School. And when I walked in, there was this one table that I was like, oh, man, I wish I could be at that table. Maybe by the end of the year, maybe by the end of eighth grade. But that's the table I want to be at. And the reason I wanted to be at that table is because the kids that were there wore these alligators. And I thought, man, if I, if I could just do that, then I could be to that place. And they also wore these things called penny loafers. And I thought this would be great. Well, my family was very poor, and we didn't have alligators. We had foxes. But foxes did not get to go to the alligator table, okay? And, and I couldn't afford, you know, some, you know, penny loafers. The only thing I could afford was, like, tennis shoes. And so, you know... I wasn't sure I'd ever get there, and I would walk by this table, and there were the Craig Bomb twins, and they were very, very wealthy, and they were cool, man, the people you wanted to be around. They were on all the sports, and there was Amy Kiley, and man, she was this amazing, beautiful girl, and I just kept thinking, one day I'll get there, and I graduated from eighth grade, and I never got to that. You ever experienced that in school before? You ever uh, experienced that at work? You go into work and you have your idea, you have your thoughts, you have something you think, hey, I'll be invited to the table, and you're just ignored, you're excluded. You ever experienced that before? Where you just don't quite measure up to whatever that is. Well, I'm telling you, folks, if you've ever experienced that, if you've ever felt that before, then this image that we have of the Temple Mount, you know what it's like to be a Gentile. You know what it's like to be separated, not just from people, but from the presence of the Most High God. In Herod's temple, there was this huge hierarchy. The high priest that could go in one time, the priests who were very close to God, then the Jewish men, the women, but everyone else, this particular wall, this particular barrier separated them from the presence of God. Bricks, gates, barriers, guards, signs that would actually be right here telling you you weren't welcome. In fact, in the last hundred years, they've done some archaeological digs on this site, and they've actually found two of the signs that were actually posted. Here's one of the signs. Can you read that? Not so much. Uh, It's in Greek and Latin. And the reason it is is because they wanted anyone who was a foreigner to know exactly. So I can do magic. I can translate. Okay. 
So this is what this sign actually says. No foreigners, no foreigner is to go beyond the balustrade. That is that kind of railing that goes up the stairs. The plaza of the temple zone. Whoever is caught doing so will have himself to blame for his death, which will follow. Welcome to the temple. Right? Like, that's what you see when you walk in. It's like, oh, welcome. You know, I know you came a long way from Egypt or you came a long way from Italy. Come and see the presence. But we want you to know that if you cross the wall, what's going to happen is we're going to kill you and you're to blame. But welcome to the presence of God. And that was it. It was truly that. And I was kind of thinking, like, are you kidding me? These people come hundreds, thousands of miles, and they get to that point, and this is what they find. Bricks and barricades and Bibles and buildings and used to help further alienate and segregate people. You see, all of the tools that God gave to the people of Israel could have been used as an invitation to welcome the world within, but actually it was used as a temple to separate people. Now, I'd love to say that this is the only time that this has ever happened in Christianity or in religion, but the truth is it isn't. In the 1930s and 1960s, many Christians, they didn't stand up when Hitler started doing what he was doing and what took place, the Holocaust, and then six million Jews lost their life. In the 1950s and the 1960s, here in our country, African Americans could not receive communion in a white church. And if an African-American came up to try to receive communion, there would be an usher that would usher them out and take them outside. In the 1990s, missionaries from uh, the United States and other places went to this little country in Africa called Rwanda. And their whole point was, we're going to get people to come to Christ. And they got to 90% of the country had come to Christ. And it was this huge sign that maybe Africa finally could come to Christ in all ways. And then the genocide took place. And in a hundred days, folks, a million people. Think about that. All of Indianapolis, in a hundred days, every single person killed, murdered. And what we found out, is that the people of Rwanda, they valued their tribe more than they did Christ. Even today, there are many churches that would never allow a female to stand and teach on a stage. And for me, it hits deep. Because a couple of months ago, I was talking with my youngest daughter, Shiloh, and I said, hey, Shai, what, what do you want to be when you grow up? And she goes, well, I'd like to be a hairdresser. And then she said this. I'd like to be a pastor, just like you, Dad. And I think to myself that there are churches in our community, in our state, in our nation, in our world, where just because you're female would never be allowed to speak. But then I started thinking about it. I belong to a church. I belong to a group of people who I can honestly turn to Shiloh and I can say, you can be anything you want to be in our church. 
You, you can lead people. You can teach people. You can be a pastor here. You can do anything that you want. You ever wonder kind of like what the next 50 years are going to be looking like on what barricades we may have to prevent people from being able to experience the fullness of Christ? Bricks, barricades, Bibles, buildings, they're still in our they're still in play in our world today. Folks, I want you to know this is not what God originally intended for the world. And he actually had this experience where Paul firsthand tells us how it took place in Acts 21. You see, the plight of the Gentiles was such a problem that Paul said, I don't care if I have to die, and he actually did eventually die. I don't care if I have to die, but the message is not just going to be left for the Jews, we're going to open it up to all the Gentiles as well. And he sees the divide growing in the world and in the church of the day. And it's with this background that I wanted you to see why Ephesians is so important when Paul says these words in chapter 2. But now in Christ Jesus, you were once far away, have been brought near through the blood of Christ. For he himself is our, what's it say? Our peace. Now this word peace in Hebrew actually means shalom. That's the word. And what it means is not just an absence of conflict, but it actually means to have a vision. A vision of what you would be. The idea of shalom is the original vision that God had for the world. That Jesus is our peace and that Jesus is a vision of how we are to live our life. It goes on to say, for he himself is our peace who has made the two one and has destroyed the barrier, the dividing wall of hostility, by setting aside in his flesh the law with its commandments and its regulations. His purpose was to create in himself one new humanity. In other words, he says, hey, when Jesus came, he's like bringing a whole new race where everyone's included, radically accepted, out of the two, thus making peace, and in one body to reconcile both of them to God through the cross by which he put to death their hostility. If we go to the next one. He came and preached peace to you who were far from, who were far away, and peace to those who were near. For through him we both have access to the Father by one Spirit. What Paul is saying is he's saying, hey, guys, I want you to know that Jesus is our peace. He is the vision that you should live your life. When you start thinking, how should I live my life? You live your life like Jesus did. So let me ask you, in your relationships with others, is Jesus your vision for how to live in peace with those around you? Now, Paul is quite clear that the whole reason that this could ever happen is because of the cross. The cross is a barrier killer. Uh, What happened was when Jesus went to the cross, he actually created a bridge for everyone who were those people could walk across and could be part of the family of God, regardless of your past, who you were or what you had done. Folks, if there are people in your world that you can't stand, 
may you go to the foot of the cross and see if they're worthy. If there are people in your life that you hate, you must go to the foot of the cross and see if they're worthy. If there are people who irritate you, you've got to go to the foot of the cross. For Jesus himself is our peace, and through him he created a bridge for all humankind to come and to be peacemakers. And the question I have for you today is, are you going to be a cross, or will you be a temple? A cross that invites everyone to walk in, or a temple that only lets those who look and breathe and act and vote and think like me are able to come in. In fact, any form of hostility that would make this cross look differently, what happened was is that Paul said, you've got to get rid of that and you have to look more like Jesus. When you're not looking like him, then you can't have peace because Jesus is our peace and he makes peace through the cross and he preached peace. And why? Well, you might have missed this, but in Ephesians uh, 2.18, he says this, For through him, in other words, through Jesus, we have access to the Father by one Spirit. Now, that word access is something that we talk about. Uh, here's an access road. It gets us to a place. This is what this word means in Greek. It means to have the audience of the king. That you have the audience of the king. Jesus came so that you and the person beside you and the person that you can't stand all have access to the king. Which makes me wonder in my own life, in my life, Chris Bunch, how many times does Chris Bunch put a barrier or some kind of wall around myself that doesn't allow people to have access to God? Have I ever set barricades up preventing people from actually experiencing God? And let me ask you this morning, have you been a barrier of the good news or, or not? Well, Paul continues on in verse 19 and he says these words, You are no longer foreigners and strangers, but fellow citizens with God's people and also members of his household, built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets, with Christ Jesus himself as the chief, what's it say? Cornerstone. In other words, he says all your brick building that you're doing, nothing should be built unless I'm the cornerstone. In him, the whole building then is joined together and rises to become a holy temple in the Lord. And in him, you two are being built together to become a dwelling in which God lives by his spirit. Folks, it is in the scripture and from scripture that we have our big idea. It's your first fill-in in your program or on the app. And it's this. Every person you know is just one prayer away from experiencing the fullness of God. Every single person you know, even the people that you can't stand, are one prayer from becoming a part of a radically inclusive fellowship with God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. Every person you know is a prayer away. So the most incredibly crude person in your workplace, it's just one prayer away. 
The worst alcoholic you know is just one prayer away. The greatest control freak you know is just one prayer away. The most dangerous criminal you know is just one prayer away. The most drug-addicted person you know is just one prayer away. The most narcissistic person you know is just one prayer away. The most anger-filled person you know, one prayer away. The most hate-filled person you know, one prayer away. The worst, most wretched, evil terrorist that you know is just one prayer away. Every person you know is one prayer away from experiencing the fullness of God. And your life will either choose to be a cross that allows people into His presence of grace and love, or you will be Herod's temple that radically allowed people to have barriers to be segregated away. Folks, the cross welcomes people. The temple excludes people. The cross is deep and wide. The temple is narrow and shallow. The heart of the cross is to say that you people, those people who are far, far from God, that you can become near. And the image of the temple is you people who are those people who are far, far away from God. You stay far. You stay away. Again, the Jewish people practiced this. There was the Holy of Holies. There was the priest. There were the men. There were the women. All Jews, only one ever experienced the presence of God. And everyone else was behind this wall, behind this barrier, and not welcome to come in. But what Paul is saying is that this barrier to the Gentiles had been destroyed when Jesus Christ went to the cross. When he went to the cross, all of this changed, and everybody could go into the Holy of Holies. Everyone could experience God. Everyone could have his presence. You see, that story when it says that the temple curtains tore in half, it wasn't just a thought of, hey, they didn't build the, build the building very well. God came in, tore it apart, and said, now everyone can go and have access to God. And the way God set it up was that you and I would be the vehicles, the conduit to help people get connected. And my question for you today is, are you a carrier of God's good news or have you become a barrier to that? During my uh, seminary experience, uh, to be honest, I didn't want to leave Flora, Indiana. I didn't want to leave what I had known where there were more hogs than people. Uh, I wanted to stay in my own little country church, but I felt this calling from God to go to seminary, cemetery. I mean, uh, uh, for my master's program. And I get there and there are all these people and they're so much smarter and brighter than me. And I felt so excluded and I was missing where I had been from. And Jen was now in residency. And for the first 40 days and 40 nights of my time as a seminary student, I went through the darkest night of my life. I woke up each morning and I would dry heave over a toilet, longing for the stress and the pressure to come out, but nothing did. I had panic attacks regularly. Nights were horrible. When Jen wasn't around, it was even worse. 
Maybe some of you know what that feels like. I was flunking my classes. I was ready to give up. I went to go see my advisor named Gil Stafford. And when I walked in, I said, I'm done. I'm quitting. And he listened to everything and tears coming out of my eyes. And with compassion in his heart, he said, Chris, you're not alone. God is with you. God is for you. He brought you here for a purpose. And I'm going to be your biggest cheerleader, however long it takes. We're going to get rid of some of these classes. We're going to get you into some counseling. You need to take some medication. I said, well, my wife says I need to, but I think I'm fine. Isn't that what always happens? And I dropped some classes and I got healthy and he kept cheerleading me on and eventually I graduated. Now, I slipped by, okay? I did not graduate with honor. The person that you're listening to right now, he slipped through seminary, okay? Like it wasn't like he killed it, you know? And when I started the church, I looked so much up to Gil Stafford who was my mentor and my friend and my leader and someone who had integrity and compassion and he loved everybody and I was like I want to be just like him and so I asked him I said would you pray for this church that I'm starting and every single day he would pray and once a week he would say hey I'm praying for people that 20 years from now might come into the presence of the jar he, he's praying for you some of you are here you don't even know him but he was praying for you And then one day I got a phone call that rocked my world where he had died from cancer. And I kept thinking to myself, I wonder if we'll ever be able to move any further with someone who was such a prayer warrior for you that you're sitting in a chair today. Because someone 20 years ago said, you're included, you're accepted, don't give up. I'm going to be your biggest cheerleader. You know, like I said, in seminary cemetery, there were many professors. I would never go to their funeral. I would have probably added to some of their death, but I never, like, did that. Just joking. Don't send me an email. And, uh, but I wanted to be to his funeral. And when I got there, there was a line all around Roselle Johnson Funeral Home. It wrapped around and around and around. And this was just on the visitation. The funeral was even bigger. And when we got there, there was no parking. Every spot was full, and eventually I got to a line, and I said, where's the end of the line? They're like, oh, you got to go around here, and I went around there. And for two hours, I stood in line until I got to his wife and his family to give them some comfort. And as I was standing in that line, this is what I noticed. There were old people, and there were young people. There were rich people, and there were poor people. There were 
people who thought they really had it together, and there were people that didn't have a clue. There were some of the most conservative people I know and some of the most liberal people I know. There was gay, there was straight, there was unchurched, there was overly churched, and they were all standing in line to be able to show their respects for this man. And I was moved in the moment. And I started thinking to myself, and I realize I'm weird. You already know I'm weird. I started thinking, I wonder when I die, what kind of diversity will be at my funeral? Will it simply be people who look like me and talk like me and dress like me, who vote like me, who believe like me? Or will there actually be people who are those people? And they'll come. And they'll say, I was always welcomed at his table. And that's who Gil Stafford was. He was always welcoming people. He was always inviting people. He was always allowing people to come just as they were. My question for you this morning is, who's welcomed at your table? Who's welcome at your table? Folks, I tell you, I believe this to my essence. Our big idea that simply says this, every person you know is just one prayer away from experiencing the fullness of God. You know, the reality is, folks, God is calling you and I to be peacemakers. But the question becomes, how do we do it? How do we live a vision and a life like Jesus? Well, Paul actually says it. In Ephesians, and we'll go through this kind of rapid fire style. But how do I develop a peace plan where I look like Jesus and I create peace in my world? Well, first of all, I've got to recognize that Jesus is our peace. Let me ask you this morning Is Jesus the vision of your life, or is he just someone that you think about when it's convenient for you? Paul says in Ephesians, Jesus is our peace. He is the full picture of God towards because of their choices, their past, their thinking, their voting, that those things just don't line up with you. And you've chosen to distance yourself from them and actually create a barrier. That's the way Herod's temple was. But I'm telling you, it's not the way of the cross. Now, let me be very, very clear. If you have a person in your life who is, you know, physically or emotionally or sexually abused you in some way, don't jump into that relationship. Keep your distance. Get some counseling. Pray for God to move in a great way. But if you're not in that place, who is that person that you've created that? Could you say, you know what, Jesus is our peace. I'll reach out and drop the barricade. The next thing. Jesus is our peace, and Jesus came to make peace. He said, I just didn't come to say, hey, everybody look at me, I'm peace. He actually said, I'll reach in and I'll do that. And so he hung out with the people that no one else wanted, the people that didn't belong to society. Mother Teresa actually said this quote, if we have no peace, it's because we have forgotten that we belong to each other. Do you realize, folks, that the person that you can't stand 
you belong to. If you're a Christ follower, you belong to them. Have you forgotten why Jesus came in the first place? The whole reason of the cross is to create reconciliation and peace for people who are far from God, like me and you and everyone you know, to have full access. Will you make peace like that? You know, you have to realize that you belong to other people. And when you finally get that, you're like, I do, no matter what. Then your posture changes and you choose peace. You listen better. You look at other people and you say, regardless of who they are, they are one of God's creations and I will love them. It's no more us versus them, but we're all us. And then the final piece kind of of our peace plan is that Jesus preached peace. That he actually walked out and he lived it. He talked about it. He proclaimed it. And I have to ask you, is there anybody in your life that you've given up on? You've stopped praying for the person. You've stopped pursuing that person. Is there a barrier somewhere? Have you given up inviting certain people to the jar, maybe because of you or them, but you've done that? Folks, you have to realize that there are some people that only your life will be why they understand who Jesus is. Your life will be the only reason why they actually pick up this book and they would ever read it. Your life is the only reason why they would ever darken the doors of a church. So I ask you, are you going to be a carrier of God's openness and acceptance? Or will you be a barrier? So in your program, each one of you received a little card that looks like this. I'd like you to pull it out. And uh, if you don't have one, just raise your hand. One of our uh, greeters are there in the back. They'll get one to you. We have some people up here. So if uh, one of the greeters can come up and uh, just bring a program, uh, that would be great. But uh, I want everybody to have this card. Just keep it up. Someone will get it to you. They're looking for hands right now. There's people panicking upstairs. Don't panic. We will have one for you shortly. But I'd like you to pull this out because uh, it's important. It's your ability to be a peacemaker. And basically what it is asking is that just for the next 40 days that you would pray for one person for one minute who is disconnected from Christ or the church. It could be a neighbor, a co-worker, a friend, a family member, whoever. But it's someone who you know, who you connect with, not in another state, not somewhere else, but someone in your city, someone you have influence with, someone in the county, someone that's close that you know regularly. And I want you to think of a person who actually, you know what, they would be receptive to things of God if I just kind of practiced a peace plan and I showed love. And so what I'd like you to do is to think of one person. Maybe it's somebody who recently moved into the community. I was talking to a family this week 
They said the only reason why we feel connected and a part of the jar in this community is because our neighbors invited us. Maybe it's someone who has gone through some pain and hurt recently that you could reach out and you could be peace to. Maybe it's someone who walked away from Christ at one time and you can tell they're hurting and struggling and you're like, hey, you know what? Maybe in 40 days as I prayed just for one minute, it would work. Maybe it's one of the people in your circle of three, someone that you know is receptive and open to it, that you kind of stopped praying as much and maybe you just need to get back into it. I don't know who it is, but I'm going to pray here in just a moment that God would give you that one name and then you'll write it on this card and you're like well you know what am i supposed to pray well if you turn on the back side we actually have a place for you to pray and you're like why don't pray out loud well pray silently but just read it pray it it's there i personally take out my cell phone and i've set it for one o'clock Monday through Sunday, and wherever I'm at, it goes off, and the alarm reminds me, hey, I'm going to pray for my neighbor, Troy, and I'm going to continue to pray for him until the day that he comes to Christ. So what I want to ask you to do right now is just give a moment to God. We're going to bring the lights down. I just want you to ask God, who is the one person that's disconnected from you, but I could really become a carrier of your peace. I could become a bridge to help them get to know you. God, would you reveal that to every single person right now? Would you give them the courage to write that right now, maybe you're struggling. Let me pray right now. God, I pray right now through the power of your Holy Spirit, would you reveal the person that you desire for each person here to pray for for the next 40 days? The person who needs your peace, give them one name, one face right now. Help them now to be faithful, God, to pray each day over the next 40 days that they would turn to you so that this person might experience your peace and your fullness because you truly are the God who tells us I want to use you because this person is just one prayer away from their eternity changing. God, we know you're able to do immeasurably more than we could ever think or desire. So come Holy Spirit and allow the names of these people be people that we commit to that one day they would experience your peace and your fullness. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Now this fall we're beginning a brand new campaign in October and uh, this is it. What makes you happy? And uh, we're just really, really believing that God is going to move in this way in a great way because I guarantee the person that you wrote down, they may want to have many things in life, but I guarantee you, they want to be happy. And so in the next 40 days, all I'm asking is you pray for them. And after 40 days, I'll stand from this stage again, and I'll say, hey, remember that person that you prayed for 40 days? Let's invite them to this new series, What Makes 
you happy. And my prayer is that many of them will be sitting in chairs here and they'll experience the peace and the love and the fullness and the happiness of God that their life would be changed for eternity like yours. Now, some of you might be thinking right now, well, I'm not sure it's going to work. I've done this before and it didn't work. Well, I want to show you a picture of a couple of guys who I prayed for daily and it worked. This is Kenny, my buddy. He's actually here today. Guy I prayed for for a minute a day for a period of time, and he came to Christ. Here's I didn't pray for the dog, okay? I, I like the dog, but I didn't pray for the dog. So that's my other buddy, Wayne. And I just prayed for them, and their life has been changed, and they now are changing the lives of their family and people around them because of simply praying for one person. And dozens and dozens of people in our church are simply here today because someone said, one prayer away. You're one prayer away. So I pray you might do that. Now, some of you might be here for the first time and you're like, the reason I'm here because one of these people have been praying for me? The secret's out. It is. Somebody's been praying for you and if you're here and you're like, well, I know the secret of the jar now. You're right. We're busted. Because this is what we think. That We have such a great message that everyone should know. It would be almost like we had a cure for cancer, but we didn't tell anybody. Well, the reality is we want to tell everybody to let them know of God's amazing love for their life, that they are included, that they're one prayer away from full access. So today, if today's your day where you're like, I'm ready to give my one and only life to Christ, I want to invite you through a prayer. And it's a prayer that we don't pray alone but we pray out loud. So let's pray together. But maybe for some of you, today is your first day where you give your life to Christ. Just repeat after me. Heavenly Father, I am a sinner and I need a Savior. Jesus, forgive me. Make me brand new. I believe you died and rose again so I could live for you. Fill me with your Spirit so I could know you, serve you, and follow you for the rest of my life. My life is not my own. Today I give it to you. Thank you for new life. Now you have mine. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Hey, let's give a hand to everybody who said that prayer for the first time. Welcome to the kingdom of God.